Welcome to Everyday Health Simplified. I'm Elisa Poole, ex-teacher turned health enthusiast. Each episode, you get bite-sized pieces of nutrition and mindset education so that you can be empowered to take the next step on your wellness journey. Welcome back to part two of our Metabolic IQ series, where I'm not giving you medical advice, but I am giving you some understanding that you can choose to apply to your life. Last week, we defined metabolic syndrome as a cluster of five health complications that all come from insulin resistance. There are four highs and one low. High blood glucose, high waist circumference, high blood pressure, high triglycerides, and low HDL. In case you were wondering, high LDL and low triglycerides is a great combo and appears to be a sign of longevity. So if you've got high LDL but your triglycerides are low, you're all good. Okay. I also explained that metabolic syndrome used to be called insulin resistance, which might be more helpful for you to remember because if you address your high levels of insulin in the body, you can address all five of the other markers for metabolic syndrome. With that in mind, it would be smart for us to get clear on why high insulin occurs. Elevated insulin doesn't just happen on its own, at least for not very long. There are two main ways that insulin can be raised in the body. One has to do with our stress levels and the other with our food. I'll talk briefly about the stress because while it is a factor, our nutrition plays a much more direct role on our insulin and it's something we can tangibly control. We all know that cortisol is our stress hormone, right? It's released every time our brain senses a threat, so we enter fight or flight mode. Cortisol is a hormone produced by the adrenal glands in response to stress and it plays a role in regulating blood sugar levels in the body. Cortisol can indirectly influence our insulin levels in several ways. First, it stimulates the liver to produce glucose, which is released into the bloodstream. So in case we need to fight or flee, then we've got sugar in our limbs to help us do that. Because of the elevated blood sugar levels, the pancreas secretes insulin to tell the cells to absorb that glucose. Now, prolonged exposure to high cortisol, meaning a lot of stress in your life that's unmanaged, can lead to insulin resistance because higher insulin levels are being needed to maintain normal blood sugar levels. If you constantly feel like you're in a threat state, your insulin levels will constantly be raised and then you'll be having more blood sugar levels on a regular basis. Cortisol-induced insulin resistance usually occurs in muscle and fat cells. And lest we forget, cortisol can also influence our appetite and promote fat deposits, especially visceral fat around our midsection. And that excess visceral fat is associated with insulin resistance. What this means is that we definitely want to learn how to manage our stress levels productively. We are never gonna get rid of our stress. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? But what we can do is learn to activate our parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest system, because that's what starts the calming and relaxing pattern in our bodies. The good news is we don't need to be in the parasympathetic nervous system equal amount of time as as the sympathetic nervous system, the the stressful one. We just need to learn to activate the parasympathetic nervous system multiple times throughout the day. Now, here are some ideas on how you can do that. Deep breathing in through the nose, out through the mouth or the nose. Just make sure your exhale is longer than the inhale. That's where the relaxing comes in. You can also sing, hum, or chant. 
You can practice awareness or mindfulness of what you're feeling and name it out loud. When you can observe what's going on in your body like a third party, it helps give you distance and clarity. You can also meditate for a few minutes, do some yoga stretching, laugh, smile. Getting out in nature for just a few minutes usually works wonders, or even looking at a nature video and visualize being there, sensing the air on your skin. You can also get cozy with a blanket or heating pad or take a warm bath, okay? All throughout the day, whenever you can. Helping to manage your stress levels will lower your cortisol, which can indirectly affect your insulin levels. The rest of the time, high insulin occurs because we are eating foods that stimulate insulin production too often, more often than it takes to burn off the previous amount of glucose from the last meal. If insulin had a soundtrack, it would be Michael Jackson's Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, because it's going to keep on as the food starts up, can't stop till it gets absorbed, keep on right? You must understand that insulin's only job is to make your body store energy. Insulin's sole purpose in life is to make your body store the energy it eats so that we have energy for later if we need it. If insulin is high in the body, your body must store that energy. It literally cannot burn fat because it's in sugar burning and storage mode only. So if you are regularly eating food, that spikes your insulin levels, your body never gets a chance to burn stored fat. So that begs the question, which foods cause insulin to rise? Fats? Nope, they have a very low insulin response. Proteins? Not so much, low insulin response. Cruciferous vegetables and leafy greens? Low insulin response. Carbs, other carbs? Yes, high insulin response. I'm talking chips, popcorn, bread, crackers, pretzels, bagels, muffins, pasta, cookies, you name it. Oh, 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 Oreo, what's in the middle? The white stuff. That white stuff has insulin's number on speed dial. Here's how it works. When you eat a food, it provides energy to the body. That's what calories are, energy. Every food we eat also produces an insulin response of some kind, like I just mentioned. The higher the insulin response of the food, the longer it takes for the body to burn through the glucose in the blood, especially if you're sedentary. Now here's something you really wanna grasp. A cell will burn enough energy to meet its current needs and store the rest. What this means is, if you're eating a bagel and cream cheese before sitting at your desk for the next four hours, you're getting a whole lot of insulin released into your system, but not doing much to utilize that energy. So your body burns very little of that glucose and insulin tells the cells to absorb the rest and store it as glycogen, which is how our body stores glucose. If we do this repeatedly, day after day, meal after meal, insulin never has a chance to come down, especially if we're enjoying a nightcap or a snack after dinner. If we're eating every three to four hours for 14 to 16 hours a day, you're giving your body only about eight to 10 hours to get rid of elevated insulin. Now, not to run this point into the ground, but your body doesn't burn extra fat when insulin is present because it literally can't. Did you get that? It actually is incapable of burning fat when insulin is present. I'm not saying you can't eat every three to four hours. I love eating every three to four hours. I am saying that if you are an average everyday health practitioner, you need to be aware of what kinds of food you are eating and be mindful of how often you are eating the foods that stimulate insulin production. 
Unless you're a highly active person or elite athlete, your body is not processing a ton of energy and therefore might be storing more than it can burn. Now, let's talk about what happens when insulin is not high. The longer insulin is reduced in the body, the more the body begins to burn fat to meet its energy needs. Normally, it takes three to four hours to burn off the glucose and about six hours to shift to fat burning mode. If insulin is present, your body will not enter this mode. Once the body has had low insulin levels long enough, your liver will start to break down stored fats and produce a chemical the body can use for energy called ketones. However, insulin inhibits ketogenesis, the process of making ketones, meaning if your body has insulin in the blood, it cannot make ketones. It typically takes 16 hours or more of fasting to enter ketosis if someone has good metabolic flexibility, meaning if their body is appropriately sensitive to insulin. Your liver only makes ketones when glucose is unavailable or in short supply, so you'd have to not eat for a while to enter ketosis because most of us have stored glycogen that we need to use up before we break down stored triglycerides, which is the fat. Ketosis is probably not going to be happening between meals unless you're never spiking insulin and have zero glycogen to burn on your body. So that's how the presence of insulin impacts your metabolism. Insulin up means metabolism is slow. You're in the building up and storing phase. Insulin is low. You're in the breaking down phase, the burning phase, and your metabolism goes up. Now, remember what I said in the last episode? Your metabolism is a sum of the building up and the breaking down, and we all need to have both, and not everyone needs to be in a deficit. You might just want to try balancing. And also remember, your weight is not the goal. Your weight will not substantially or permanently change until you get your metabolic health back in order, which has a whole lot to do with your level of insulin resistance. So it's in your best interest to focus on that. The reason insulin resistance is the single biggest metabolic problem worldwide currently is likely due to two main factors. The first is a biggie, our lifestyle, the food we eat, how frequently, the way we manage or mismanage our stress, our lack of sleep, and being mostly sedentary throughout the day. Those are big factors into our health, and thankfully, we can control those things. The second reason is because our healthcare system's focus is largely on blood glucose levels and diabetes, which leads us to a reactive approach to health rather than a proactive approach. Because if you focus on insulin, you can start acting proactively because high insulin happens before blood glucose levels get high and before diabetes is diagnosed. In fact, high insulin can be present for, get this, up to 20 years before your blood glucose levels change enough to show up on blood tests. That's because insulin does work to get rid of blood glucose and and it can do that while it's high. So if you want to avoid chronic illness and maintain a healthy weight, you definitely wanna consider checking your insulin levels annually because it is an early marker that's connected to all the major chronic health issues, which we're gonna discuss next week. You're definitely wanna gonna understand this because you might be able to make some critical changes and avoid a lot of upset in your future. Thank you for listening today. Remember to please pass this along to someone else you know that might benefit from hearing this information. We all need to know this stuff so that we can be empowered and healthy. And until next time, keep practicing health every day.